Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. On today's episode of the Sword and Trial, Graham and I talk about a lot of the conversation that has been going on on social media, primarily amongst Baptists, but also amongst some broader uh, Protestant friends as well, about Christian nationalism. And we're not so much concerned to defend or condemn that idea or the term Christian nationalism, but rather we want to talk about the uh, specific issues involved. And so what we do is do uh, we, we listen to some Baptists from our heritage? So you'll hear some quotes from Richard Fuller and Richard Furman, as well as John Gill and Adrian Rogers, who is not that far removed from the contemporary scene, and just try to, to think through why it is important for Baptists to engage in public theology as well as political theology. Baptists have done this, and you don't have to go looking to your Presbyterian friends or other Protestant friends in order to think about engaging the culture, engaging the political world, because we have a heritage ourselves, and we're grateful for the broader Protestant heritage that we have, but we need to recover what our forefathers were talking about and weigh what they said on the basis of the Scripture so that we might think more carefully about the world we live in today. And and that's the whole reason that Founders started the Institute of Public Theology two years ago, because we are committed to this work. So listen, and if you've got friends that are interested in this, uh, like this episode, share it with them. If you've not subscribed on your favorite platform, we encourage you to do that as well. But thanks for tuning in today on The Sword and Trial. Welcome to The Sword and Trowel. The Sword and Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. Delighted to have you join us again this week for a conversation here on the Sword and the Trial podcast. And today, we thought we would kind of follow up on something we talked about a few weeks ago when we described ourselves as happy Baptists and uh, not intimidated by the the wave of uh, at least some people shifting over to Presbyterianism. When you're right, why do you got to be intimidated? <laughs> That's right, you know. And as Baptists, we're not afraid of any waves, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, we're we're keeping our ears open and having a lot of people contact us about cultural issues, pastors, uh, longtime members in churches, even uh, just recently in our most recent Lord's Day gathering, there was a family that came, you know, they, they had just kind of been disoriented during COVID and the Black Lives Matter protests and some such. And they, they said, man, we just, you know, said a lot of things became clear to us. A lot of things were revealed that we had no idea of. And we just, we felt like we'd lost our footing and we started looking for, uh, Uh, churches that seem to be straight and not wavering on this stuff. So they drove a long way to be with us, to kind of hear and talk. And it it was encouraging to listen to them. But also, on another hand, it was very sad, you know, because they talked about in their area that the churches in their area that they were aware of had all kind of been shifted by the culture. And there's no way to avoid addressing what is going on culturally if you're going to be a faithful Christian. Mm -hmm. And yet, Boy, that is a, a minefield to yeah. try you, to. You can't that. you can't live in this world without being affected by the culture one way or the other. That's right. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but a sinking tide also lowers Takes all them boats. Down. Yeah, and I think you know Aaron Wren, whose uh, diagnosis of the uh, the 
positive world, neutral world, net Wren who did mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. then the uh, negative world. It's been helpful to me to think about what's going on here in the last 50 to 75 years mm-hmm. in America. And we've gone from that, from a Christian point of view, from positive to neutral to now negative. And if you're not seeing the shift and you're still trying to live in a positive world or relate to the culture in that way, or even neutrally, um, you're not going to be helping. It's a poor people. strategy. Yeah, it really is. So one of the things that we've tried to do uh, here at Founders and in our own church and just as brothers is to think through these issues and help our, our people to think through these issues in a way that will keep them grounded on God's word so that they're not going to be knocked around. They, they won't find themselves taking the punches from the negative world and then looking around saying, who is it that can help me? Who is it that can help me stand? Oh, look, you know, there are these guys over here and they're real cultural warriors and they know they've been fighting this battle for a long time. Uh, we better become Presbyterian. Right. And, uh, you know, we're just, that doesn't have to happen uh, because of the issues that divide Presbyterians and Baptists are still issues. Those things mm-hmm. don't go away. And again, they're not essential no, we love Presbyterians. We love Presbyterians. Love Some of our best friends are Presbyterians, and there's no uh, desire to fight about those things that we disagree on, but we do disagree on some real important distinctives, and mm-hmm. that's why we're Baptists and they're Presbyterians. They think we're wrong. We think they're wrong, and that's that's okay. Uh, we understand that, but, man. They'll be right one day. In that's heaven. right. When they get to heaven, <laughs> they'll all be Baptists, so there's no problem with that. So in, in thinking through it, listening to some of the conversations that are going on, um, there have been things being said on social media that are kind of funny. People have pointed them out to me. I got one recently that said, who will be the next Baptist to flip the Presbyterians? And these guys were saying, I'm, my money's on Tom Askell. You know, he's going to become Presbyterian. And um, I started to respond to it once I found it, that uh, I would be Presbyterian today already if it weren't for the Bible. You know, I mean, I, there it goes. But I, the way I read the Bible and what I see, I just, I can't. Can a leopard change his spots? I can't go there. Can Tom you know? become a Presbyterian? You know, I'm open to the conversation, and I have been for 40 years, but uh, um, thus far, uh, mm. I've not been even almost persuaded mm. on those arguments. So what we want to do today, we're going to talk about Baptist engagement in the culture. And Christian nationalism is at the heart of a lot of these debates. And you see people that have been uh, longtime friends and agreement in addressing things like critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, the cultural Marxism stuff that we've mm-hmm. dealt with over the years now dividing. And it seems like there's, there's multiple paths yeah. and some mutual fear uh, amongst those sides and we're you know we're not taking sides in this thing but we are trying to be very clear about baptists in public theology i mean we two years ago we started an institute of public theology for this very reason Uh, these things you you didn't have to be nostradamus to see them coming you know they're Mm -hmm. they're here and uh at the institute of public theology we are committed to addressing these things. we got the best professors in the world who have signed on with us, and we're, we're dealing with these topics in every course, and we've got some special courses that are particularly geared in. We did a course on uh, political theology mm-hmm. last year. So anyway, we thought we'd have that conversation. So, Graham, yeah. uh, when are you declaring yourself a Christian nationalist? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I don't remember ever hearing the phrase Christian nationalism until the left started using it. Now, of course, the, we're all fighting amongst each other about whether we're going <laughs> to use that as a term to as an identifier or not. Um, and, you know, just taking that face value, Christian, 
nationalism. Yeah, I'm a nationalist. I, I, <laughs> I believe that the best political entity would be nations as opposed to empires or feudalistic yeah. states or whatever, you know. And I'm also a Christian. Yeah. And I would be happy if my nation identified as a Christian nation, which we have. Yeah, and, and that's what uh, basically Vody Balkum said when we did that pre-conference back in January, which mm-hmm. you can find those uh, uh, talks and the panel discussion at our YouTube channel, and we'll just link to them so you can get there easily with this show. But that's what Vody said. Okay, Christian, would you rather be pagan, rather be Muslim, <laughs> you know, nation? What would you rather be globalist? You right. Know? So that's, that is a, on a, a very... Uh, significant, but but not a very deep level, but just, you know, on face value, well, yeah, what are the alternatives we're talking about here? And there are people who are concerned about saying or desiring that America is or ever has been a Christian nation. And that's a fascinating debate to have. Mm-hmm. Um, were you raised being taught that America was or is a Christian nation? I was raised... Being taught that, and of course, always the reaction against it. No, 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 no. They were none of the founding fathers were Christians. They were all deists. You yeah, know? yeah. And I believed that for a while because I thought I was very smart. Uh, and then come to actually do a little bit of real historical work and, and find out no, that wasn't really the case either. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and no. Well, it's similar with me. I mean, I was raised as, thinking about a kid, you know, just growing up. Yeah, America is, is a Christian nation, was founded as a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, got to uh, high school, college, started studying history a little bit more seriously. And especially in college, same thing. All these guys were deists. Mm-hmm. You know, they hated Christianity. Yeah. They, they weren't like the Christians of today. And, um, you know, saw some evidence of that. So I was okay. You know, it wasn't a Christian nation. There was certainly Christian influence. And then <clears throat> was in a circle in my early uh, ministerial life of uh, those who were promoting the wall builders and David Barton. Yes. Did you ever get that? Uh, yeah, David Barton, yeah. You know, it sounded great to me. So, uh-huh. yeah, it was a Christian nation. Of course it was a Christian nation. And uh, he pulled some quotes, you know, and it, it sounded good until you go back and start reading. I think, eh, I don't think you're reading the evidence. That was where, you know, I had kind of come up on David Barton. And then I realized that a lot of the stuff he was saying was not exactly right. And that's when I started thinking, okay, yeah, so maybe there wasn't really a Christian founding. Yeah, well, that so I went back uh, to that. And then, I don't know, maybe over the last uh, 20 years, 15 or 20 years or so, I started you know, just a, not as a passion, but just as I was reading American history and trying to trace really the life of Baptists through the colonies and to where we are today, we'd see these things and think, well, this, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is Benjamin Franklin. You know, he wasn't a Christian, but look what he's saying. This is Thomas Jefferson. He wasn't a Christian, but look what he was saying. You know, Thomas Jefferson, who was, uh, he, he said he'd something like, I'd rather the half the world be dissolved uh, rather than the French Revolution not succeed. Mm. Now, he was all in on the French Revolution. He thought, mm-hmm. this is the way to utopia. This is the best that we can hope wow. for. And uh, Jefferson, the deist, who produced his own New Testament. Have you ever seen that? I've got mm-hmm. it on my shelf. It's, uh, he, he, he loved Jesus as a moral philosopher and teacher, right. is, is the things that he stood for. But he, he produced a New Testament where he cut out all the miracles. And so, you know, it's about that big. It's not not real big book. But Jefferson, you when they were debating the national seal and what the national seal should be, mm-hmm. uh, Jefferson proposed one, and this is fascinating. I've actually got a copy of it, where he wanted the seal for the new United States to be Pharaoh driving his chariot through the Red Sea with the waters coming over him and destroying <laughs> him. This is the deist Thomas Jefferson. 
they don't make DS like that anymore. No, I don't think. they don't. <laughs> I don't think they make deists at all anymore, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the real clinching things for me, that Greg Singer wrote a book about the theological history of America that was helpful. And then um, Mark David Hall's book, Did America mm, Have a Christian yeah. Founding? Really, really good. Just yeah. sorts, cites the sources in context. And so I, I don't think there's much room for debate to say that America didn't arise out of strong Christian conviction. Yeah, and the debates that they were having in the colonies and post-Revolutionary War was not, should we be a Christian nation or should we not be a Christian nation? It was like Patrick Henry arguing that the state should fund ministers and everyone else saying, I don't think that's a great idea. Right. Yeah. It wasn't a question of whether we're Christian or not. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and the concerns were not, hey, we want to... Um, we want to have an equal grounding here for Muslims and atheists and agnostics and Buddhists and Christians. They were thinking from a Christian worldview of Anglicans and Congregationalists and um, Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Catholics. And even Catholics. Even Catholics and, and Jews. There were yeah. Jewish people uh, in one of the colonies as well. And all 13 colonies recognized the legitimacy of Christianity, mm. uh, even Rhode Island. You know, most of them had establishment clauses in their constitutions. Yeah. That Christian, Christianity is the established religion. Of the state. Not at the federal level. No, maybe, no, that's right. But at the state, they would have established even um, denominations. Yeah. And so it, it does shed some light, at least for the debate, on what the First Amendment means, that Congress shall establish no yeah. religion. Yeah. Federal level. Yeah. Federal level. and. Man, a lot of those states maintained an establishment clause for Christianity well into the uh, decades after the formation of the United States. Yeah, I think it was um, the first uh, non-Christian legislator to ever serve in the United States was at the state level in North Carolina, I believe it was, a Jewish man. I don't remember. Against the Constitution oh, yeah, was yeah, elected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And eventually they amended the Constitution. That's right. Yeah, I do remember that story. Mm -hmm. So we're not defending that as, hey, that's the best way to be. We're just saying these are the facts. Yeah. You know, th this, is, this is reality. So here's what I think. This is my theory, that God blessed this nation in incredible ways. We had the great awakening that France did not have. Mm -hmm. And so those decades prior to the formation of this nation, the Revolutionary War, there was a widespread, uh, healthy Christianity that had permeated the colonies. And so even when they took up arms, they took up arms, but they didn't give full vent to the kind of just uh, unlimited bloodshed that you see in the French Revolution. They fought for a cause, they won the cause, they put down their rifles, they settled the peace, and they began to build. And uh, you can see that in the writings of a lot of the early Christian theologians and pastors of the colonial era, even in Baptists. I've been doing some reading recently on uh, from Richard Furman, and man, he's crystal clear about the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution being mm -hmm. because we understood God and we had a, a, a reverence and a fear of God. So given that, how do you describe America's founding? And there are people who debate this, and it's a good debate to have. Well, no, there's not a mention of God in the Constitution. So there's no reason for you to think this was a, a intended to be a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. But boy, uh, 
there's some real theological political intrigue between the Jeffersonians and uh, the Federalists and John Adams and George Washington and mm-hmm. even the Constitutional Convention that came together to revise and, and give us what we now have as a Constitution. Washington said, I won't come. Unless we revoke the other one, unless we that's a that's like ground zero. We got to build over in a new constitution, and that's how they got him to show up. So with that, okay, was America a Christian nation? I think many, maybe most of the people, even the deists, would have said yes yeah. in those early decades surrounding our origin. So what does that mean? Well, here's my theory. I think we have lived off of the blessings and the benefits of that way of thinking about what a nation is and how people should be joined together, that even our constitution that recognizes the division of powers. I mean, why why have a division of powers? Because of total depravity, because Mm -hmm. they understand the Bible doctrine of sin Mm -hmm. and that if you entrust power in one man or one branch, that you're setting up the tendencies toward tyranny and they wanted to guard against that. I mean, even, um, George Washington, who would not let them crown him king, which many wanted to do right. uh, after the war was won, is a recognition of what the Bible says. And I, I think our Constitution certainly serves a biblical worldview. Yeah. Uh, you know, is, is it utopia? No, but it, you compare it to other governmental systems in the world throughout history, and I, I'm grateful to God. Oh, for yeah, it. there's John Adams' famous quote this, that this nation is fit for the governance of no other people than a religious and moral people. Yeah, that's right. And you can find quotes like that all over. Uh, That's one of the things that has helped me as well is just looking at what some of the uh, earlier um, Christians and even civil authorities say. Like this is one who this this was um, Chief Justice Brewer, who I forget exactly when he served. I think it was in the early part of the 20th century. He wrote a book called The United States, A Christian Nation. And he says in that book, we constantly speak of this republic as a Christian nation. He's a Supreme Court justice, the chief justice of the Supreme Court. In fact, as the leading Christian nation of the world. Well, you know, there are people who hear that language today. They say, oh, First Amendment, First Amendment. I would think that the Supreme Court justice, <laughs> who's the chief justice, would know something about the First Amendment, you know? And he wasn't hesitant to talk like that. So I don't know why my Christian brothers get all up in arms whenever they hear this language and say, oh, we must reject that language. Right. We're living off of the, the benefits of that way of thinking. And I've compared it to this before. If you can think of maybe uh, the United States as a bank account and um, morality and righteousness being capital that you deposit in that account, well, the Christian religion, the great awakening, true understanding of the world as it really is, as God made it, how it is to work, that We made massive deposits in the first great awakening. We made more deposits in the second great awakening and the mid-century revivals of the 19th century. And even those revivals at the turn of the 20th century, there were deposits, uh, moral deposits put into this bank account. And now then for over a hundred years, we've been living off the interest 
and we've gotten into the principal and we're running out and there've been some we've things withdrawn that, our account. That's right. And now we're overdrawn. We're overdrawn and the foundations have crumbled and we're looking around saying, man, you know, why is this building wobbly? And we just need to get the building shored up, you know, and, and it's time to look at the foundations mm-hmm. and to realize, no, um, this is God's judgment. Well, Tom, your problem is that you care at all because this world is not your home. You have a heavenly home. And so this, none of this matters. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But it matters because it matters to God. You know, mm-hmm. he created this world and he mm-hmm. called it good. Yeah. And, uh, he's told us to live here and this world is going to be remade. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Well, and one of the statements that is constantly said by the you know, scholastics and the ones who want to retrieve the scholastics and all that, which I think is helpful is that you know, grace does not destroy nature, but it perfects it. Right. And so when we look at the natural realm and we look at civil governments, you know, grace, the grace of God and the institution of the church and all that doesn't destroy the need for civil governments. And so it, it actually perfects civil governments. And so we should look to civil governments and say, how can we make these things better given the grace of God that he's given to us? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just wanted to alert you, our friends, about some of the things that are coming up here that Founders Ministries is involved in. First, uh, we're doing a table talk with Pastor Tom. If you want to get an opportunity to pick his brain, ask him questions, and discuss things with him, that's taking place on Tuesday, May 2nd at 7 p.m., and this is only for Founders Alliance members. We love the fam. We're grateful for you. We want to give you this opportunity to speak with Tom. Um, If you're not a fam member, if you're not a member of the fam, uh, you can join us. Um, it's a opportunity for you to be able to support Founders Ministries and also get some of the content that we have just for our fan members. And I also want to let you know that we are still, we still have open registration for next year, next year's Founders Conference. The title of the conference is Remember Jesus Christ. This is January 18th through the 20th. And uh, Dr. Askell will be there, Conrad Mbewey, Joel Beakey, Phil Johnson, Travis Allen will be some of the speakers that will be there. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity, fellowship and teaching. Um, we still have early bird pricing until May 1st. It'll increase after May 1st, but you can go to founders.org slash conference to register for that. You know, one of the things that um, I appreciate from our Baptist heritage is the fact that we have those in our heritage who have said some wonderful things. And again, I've been looking at this um, recently. Let, let me just read John Gill, you know, who was Mr. Baptist. I do like John Gill. I mean, John Gill, there's, you can call him whatever you want to, but there's no doubt he was an influential Baptist. There's records that uh, uh, a well-taught Baptist family would not be caught without John Gill on their shelves mm. in the early days of this nation, you know, up until the uh, middle of the 19th century that is everybody had Gill. I, I, I have a feeling that our nation would be better off today if every Baptist family had Gill on their shelves. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, Augustus Toplady, who was not a Baptist said something like, uh, as long as the British empire exists, you know, John Gill will be a revered name and respected and appreciated. And so Gill was definitely uh, recognized as a Baptist leader. Uh, listen to what he says in his body of doctrinal and practical divinity. He says, kings are the guardians of the laws of God and man, and Christian kings have a peculiar concern with the laws of, two, of the two tables. 
they are to be observed, that they are to be observed, and the violators of them punished. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. First table and second (laughs) table. He goes on, said, as sins against the first table, idolatry, worshiping of more gods than one, of graven images, blaspheming the name of God, perjury, false swearing, profanation of the day of worship, and those against the second table is disobedience to parents, murder, adultery, theft, bearing false witness, and so on. Most of which, under the former dispensation, were capital crimes. He's talking about the Old Testament. And punishable with death. And though the punishment of them, at least not all of them, may not be inflicted with that rigor now as then, yet they are punishable in some way or another, which is the duty of magistrates to take care of. Now that's John Gill. He might be wrong. Mm. He might be wrong. In fact, I'm a little nervous about (laughs) some of the points he makes there. But as Baptists, we ought to stop and ask, okay, this is Dr. John Gill, Mm. arguably the most respected Baptist theologian we've ever Ever. produced. And he's arguing for this. He's saying this. So do we just dismiss him and say, oh, well, you know, Gill's a Christian nationalist. (laughs) <laughs> we're not going not gonna to listen to it. Unbiblical. Yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that. So that's that's our appeal here mm-hmm. at Founders, as we said. We need to have the conversation, and we don't need to cede the ground to our Presbyterian friends or Anglican friends or others who say that they are the ones who alone can develop a political theology. Well, and, you know, one of the assumptions in his statement there is a Christian king, a Christian king. What does a right. Christian king do? And it's it's almost like today we're having these discussions about uh, political theology, assuming that Christians will never, ever hold office. Right. right. And so if anyone holds office, though, they're pagans or secularists or whatever, and they're going to do what they're going to do, and that's fine. But like, what if a Christian is holding office? On what basis does a Christian legislate? Yeah, Certainly natural law. I mean, praise God for natural law. He's given it to us. But also he's given us his word as right. well. And so a Christian need not be nervous about seeking legislation from his Christian perspective. Exactly. And I, I, I hate the attitude that says, no, well, if a Christian becomes a civil authority, then he needs to kind of put his Christianity in the background and just keep things get from that. getting worse. Don't let paganism rule. Yeah. Worse according to West standards. Yeah, right. Where do you even get the idea? So I think all of this, the debates that are flying back and forth, the, the shots being taken back and forth, and we want to avoid that to the best of our ability, it is indicative of how far behind we are. Mm-hmm. Not just as Baptists. I mean, certainly there, but I think many of our Presbyterian friends and other Protestant friends would have to say guilty as well in developing, retrieving, and developing, and then teaching a rigorous public theology, specifically political theology. Mm-hmm. And we got to do it. Yeah. There's no way around it. Yeah. But listen to this. Uh, this is from uh, Richard Furman, who was uh, a minister, a Baptist minister during the colonial era, era and he. Um, no, this is Richard Fuller. I'm sorry, this is Richard Fuller. And uh, he, he preached this sermon during the Civil War. He had people on both sides. He had sons fighting against each other in his congregation. He, he writes this, Let this faith in a divine avenger, because he said this war is God's judgment on this nation. Mm. We have sinned against him. So let this faith in a divine avenger, God, who's bringing judgment, be extinguished. So if that was given up on, let this fear and reverence be banished. And it is a simple matter of fact that malignity, revenge, murder would soon mock to scorn the impotence of human philosophy or legislation and nations called Christian, this nation, called it a Christian nation, would reenact all those horrors of the French Revolution from the bare recital of which the imagination recoils. Mm. 
So he didn't hesitate saying, no, this is a Christian nation and we are under judgment. Now, I don't care if we call it a Christian nation or not today, but I, I think we've got to make the case we are under judgment. Mm-hmm. God, God is indeed judging the United States. And if that's true and we're citizens of this civil arena with our real citizenship, eternal citizenship in heaven, and what do we do? I mean, we should be praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be fasting. We're, we're doing that in our church, and uh, we need to unite to do that, to just realize we're not getting out of this mess without God coming down in mercy, mm-hmm. without real repentance on the part of his people and the outpouring of his spirit to own the gospel, to see those who are currently rebels against Christ bow the knee to him joyfully. Mm-hmm. Amen. You know, there's, uh, we can talk about all the old dead guys, Baptists, who uh, saw things differently than many Baptists see them today. But there's also some Baptists that uh, recently have kind of held to some of these views, Adrian Rogers being one of them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that clip of a part of his sermon has been going around recently. And in fact, it's, it's worth listening to. So why don't, why don't we watch this right quick? Uh, patriotism is not bad. When our government is good, Praise our government. This scripture says, give honor to whom honor is due. 1 Peter 2 verse 17 says, honor the king. There's nothing wrong with patriotism. There are those who don't want us to wave a flag. There are those of us who don't want to, there are those who don't want us to love America. Why not? That doesn't mean that I love other nations less when I love America especially. It just means that this is my native land. I love my family in a way I don't love your family. They are my family. Uh, The psalmist said, Oh, Jerusalem, if I forget thee, let my right hand lose her cunning. Patriotism, love of the fatherland is not wrong. Uh, We are to give honor to whom honor is due. And then next, we are to preach to our country. We're to praise our country when it does right. We're to preach to our country when it does wrong. God's people dare not be silent. We will be civil, but we won't be silent. Nathan warned David. Elijah preached to Ahab. Eliezer warned Jehoshaphat. Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. Moses warned Pharaoh. John the Baptist preached to Herod. I have an announcement to make. As long as they're killing babies and practicing infanticide, I will not be silent. As long as we have a government that's trying to normalize sexual perversion, I will not be silent. As long as they're handing out condoms to high school and junior high school students in so-called God-blessed America, I will not be silent. And as long as a free-born American is told that he cannot pray out loud anywhere, I will not be silent. We must preach to our government. And we must say to our government, whatever is morally wrong is not politically right. It is inconceivable that God would have ordained human government and told his people to stay out of it. If that is true, who does that leave to run it? Use your head. We as Christians are to participate, not on the basis of parties or persons or politics or policies, but principles. Use your head. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Adrian Rogers was uh, a champion among Southern Baptists Mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s, and he was one of the foremost leaders in the conservative resurgence. Adrian Rogers was a dispensationalist. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a post-millennialist. He wasn't a theonomist. He was a man who read his Bible, seriously tried to apply it, and was a great preacher. And this sermon is from Romans 13, 1 through 7, called Christian Citizenship. And yet, if Rogers were to say those things today, he would be lambasted mm. by many 
as being nothing but a Christian nationalist. Right. Yeah. It's interesting he takes the, uh, you know, if, if Christians don't do it, who does? And we're not Anabaptists. No, no disrespect to my Mennonite forefathers. We're not Anabaptists. We believe that the Lord has called us even to be engaged in civil government. That's right. Um, and there's a way that we ought to do that. Yeah, and, and I, particularly I think as a pastor is in that, that point he highlighted, you know, that we will be civil but we will not be silent. We will preach. And when your government is wrong, you be willing to tell it that it's wrong, and we ought to be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Herod, you may not have your brother's wife. It is not lawful. You're going against the God who appointed you to be king. And we need to be willing to say that to our civil authorities. And it comes from a, a biblical understanding of the political structures of the world. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 21.1 says that the Lord has even the king's heart in his hands. He can turn those hearts wherever he will. And Romans 13.4 or 13.1 through 4 says that there's no governmental authority except that has been instituted by God. Right. So if that's true, and Romans 4 or 13.4 says that the civil authorities that exist are God's deacons, God's servants. So if that's true, God's appointed them, they're accountable to God, how much do you have to hate them not to tell them that? Yeah. To keep them from thinking about it. Well, and another thing is that you know, human laws don't just spring up ex nihilo. I mean, they they come from the law of God. They are particular instantiations of the law of God for practical circumstances that humans face. That's right. And if a Christian is going to be at all um, engaged in legislating, they have to have an understanding of where laws come from, and they can't legislate out of thin air. That's right. And our Confession of Faith, the 1689, I think it's chapter 19, it talks about the law, maybe the third paragraph, I can't remember exactly, says, or maybe it's the first paragraph, that we are to be obedient, submissive to all civil <coughs> authorities and their uh, rulings on lawful laws, or law, all laws that are lawful. Yeah. How can a law be unlawful? There's laws that could be unlawful, yeah, because there's a higher law. There's God's law. So you don't have to go too far back in Baptist history, even Southern Baptist history, to see that there was a time when thinking about the role of Christians in a constitutional republic was to be seen as a stewardship, Mm. something that we should all try to do our very best to help with. So with that... And you know, what do we do? How, do? how do we live? Well, in one sense, we ought to live the way we should be living every day. You know, we have a book. Our agenda doesn't change. But within that agenda, there are clear instructions for what to do when God brings judgment upon us. And we see it in the Old Testament and New Testament. So in and through all the debates about Christian nationalism, uh, we ought to have them. I, I think they can be really healthy for us. But in and through it, somebody needs to be holding the line and saying, wait a minute, you know, you can say these things, they've been said in our heritage, and we can retrieve that and get light on how we're living today. But we also need to recognize that what's going on today, we're having these conversations under the judgment of God. Yeah. And, and Christians can't afford to um, not be engaged and not be involved. You know, it's if Christians aren't doing it, someone else is going to do it. Exactly. You know? um, if Christians aren't governing, then pagans are going to govern. 
Yeah. And it's much better for the people that they be under Christian governance than they would be under pagan governance. Absolutely. Look at the history of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. It's better for atheists, for Christians, to be uh, influencing how the government works because mm-hmm. the Christians aren't going to be putting the atheists to, de- to death. Mm-hmm. You know, And uh, that would be true for those that are not Christians across the board as well. We would recognize mm-hmm. that simply because they're not Christians, they don't deserve to die. They don't deserve to um, be relegated to Mm -hmm. something less than full citizenship in a civil government. Yeah, you know, Baptists are conversionistic. You you wouldn't prosecute someone who's not converted. That's right. For not being converted. That's right. The sword can't convert souls. That's right. And we have enough examples in our history of how our (laughs) fellow Christians have treated us and beaten us and Drowned us, us burned us because of our not being like them. Mm-hmm. So we're not arguing for that at all. But we are arguing that there's a God in heaven, that Jesus Christ rules this world that God in heaven has uh, uh, created. And as, as I think it's Furman who, see if I can find the quote again, he calls, uh, what's he call him? He calls him like the, the divine <laughs> potentate or the divine magistrate or something like that of America. Mm. You know, that this is, it's God who is over all of the other magistrates. And we need to recognize that too. Yeah. The, so with this, the most political thing that a Christian can say is Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And if you say Jesus is Lord, don't, don't think, well, we're not political. We, we're not going to get into the political arena. No, you've already done it. Yeah. And read the first century, second century histories of the church. Uh, our, our forefathers had their heads taken from their shoulders and rolled down dusty Roman roads because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. Mm-hmm. They said Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And today we're seeing some of that. If you don't bow to Caesar, we're going to throw you in prison. It's happening. It's happened to our friends in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's happening in other places around the world. And we are naive if we think it couldn't happen here in the United States. So understand that Christ is king. He's king of everything. And he's instructed us about his kingship and our citizenship in his kingdom and how we're to live our lives. That doesn't mean that the most important thing we do is go out and try to change the political landscape in our nation. But it does mean that living as Christians, we don't say, oh, no, no, that's off limits. Mm. It's not off limits because Christ is authoritative over that as well. Yeah, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. Amen. And, and where does the sun shine? Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah, yeah. So quit singing that song if you're not willing to. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and, and try to live it out. So, man, if you're a Christian in the world of politics, God bless you. Uh, live as a real Christian, be joyful, and carry out your duties the best you can there. If you're in business, if you're a laborer, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're changing dirty diapers all day long, you do that to the glory of God because Christ is Lord in that arena as well. And certainly, pastors, uh, we need to think through these things carefully, try our best to understand how the Word applies, and from our Baptist heritage, let's retrieve what God taught our forefathers. If it was 
true then, it's true today because truth doesn't change. We need to think more carefully about how to apply those things perhaps in our day and maybe correct things that were mistaken in our past, but we don't need to be afraid. And again, we want to help you with this. It's why we established the Institute of Public Theology. We encourage you to go and check it out. I look at the courses coming up. We got Carl Truman coming in this summer who's going to teach the, the uh, rise and triumph of the modern self. We've also got Travis Allen coming in to teach New Testament from the perspective of a pastor who's committed to this way of living and thinking and helping his church do that. Uh, we've got Tom Nettles and his church history course that has uh, taught about how Christians have thought through these things over the centuries. We've got um, Mark Coppinger, who is coming back to teach another course for us. He's already taught one on philosophy, Vody Bauckham on cultural uh, apologetics. I mean, we just, we are committed to thinking through these things as carefully, rigorously as we can. And we would love to have you on board, love to have you uh, link arms with us in any way. So thanks for joining us today for this conversation. Graham, thanks for uh, wading through this morass <laughs> together. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme over all. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.